All right, we're live again, part two. Uh, we were on Riverside before and it glitched and I'm done with Riverside. So Zoom is the way. But again, Ross, how are we doing? I'm doing great, my man. How are you? Doing good, bro. I appreciate you being patient with this. Um, it's all good. Yeah, so we were on the topic on the other recording platform of you being 22 and I'm 22 as well. And I feel relative to a lot of other creators and entrepreneurs, we're obviously very young, but I mean, if anybody met you or looked at you, like they wouldn't think you're 22. So I'm curious, what was like middle school and high school Ross like? Like, were you always a bit more emotionally mature than your peers or did that just happen at one moment? Uh, I've, I suppose in terms of emotional maturity, I've been, I've always just been very stoic. Like even before I knew what stoicism was, I've always just been like, eh, it is what it is. Just got they, it's, I've always had this sort of sense in my mind where it's like I've always only focused on what I can control, which is weird looking back on it, but I'm like eternally grateful for it because it has helped obviously in so many situations. And I mean, the whole rest of the whole stoicism philosophy was easy to embody. But yeah, no, I was, I sort of was, until I was about 16, 17, I was pretty normal. And then I hit puberty and just like became a man overnight <laughs> in like a couple of months. But yeah. When you went through that big transition, 16, 17, was that when you started competing in professional weightlifting as well? Yeah. So I started competing in weightlifting just before I turned 17. So a couple of months before I turned 17, I was did that for four years. So I competed in the sport of Olympic weightlifting. So you do a snatch and you do a clean and jerk. So I did it for four years, won a British weightlifting championship, won an Irish champion, a few Irish championships and held a few records. And then I decided I was fed up with doing two lifts every single day for six days a week for four years. So I just went to more powerlifting, bodybuilding style training. And obviously you've been training the body forever and you're obviously phenomenal at it. But when did... When did you start shifting the emphasis to training the mind? Like, were you always a very studious learner or is that something that developed more later in life? So in terms of, in terms of consciously improving my mind and training it, it probably wasn't until I was 18, 19, you know, just before I started creating content, but I was always like in school, I don't have this like traditional story where it's like you're a bad student I was always a good student I was always getting A's across everything I was always able to just put my head down and study and learn this stuff so I've always been good at learning especially if it was something I enjoy so if it was something I would I enjoyed I would just sit there all day and learn it so yeah it wasn't really until I was maybe 18 I'm going to say at the end stage of 18 that I started trying to properly improve my life in all areas and was there a turning point or was there like one book that opened your mind up to things or why did you start to get on this self-improvement, personal development wave? So there was no real proper turning point. It was more gradual, but I did start it. Be, I, the way I got into it was I was broke at university. So I was like, oh, I need to make money online. I One of the first things I did was buy all these sort of like finance books, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and all the rest. That led me into sort of more of the classic self-improvement books, Atomic Habits, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Four Hour Workweek, that sort of stuff. And then that's sort of when I how I got into that space and it just never stopped. 
Yeah, it's wild how, at least for me, I was the same way as a kid. Like I was a good student, but I never really cared. Like it wasn't the focus, sports mm-hmm. were the focus. But now that I'm out of sports, it's like I'm obsessed with reading and learning. And it's funny because like you see your Twitter and you're taking ice baths, you're waking up at 5 a.m., you're like lifting insane amounts of weight, but you're also lifting the mental weight too. Like you could see it with your bookshelf behind you. So that's what I'm excited for. I feel like a lot of the future of the creator economy, everybody is around this holistic approach. It seems where you have to train your mind, you have to train your body, you have to do it all. Um, So where do you think that holistic approach came from for you? Like, why are you so obsessed with training everything? I think think it's as simple as I just seen the improvements. I seen the progress from doing it and I got addicted to the, I'm going to say good dopamine from seeing the progress and just getting completely addicted to the process. I think, and I wanted to go back even further, it likely does just stem from the gym and training and, you know, setting a goal of lifting this weight or being at uh, taking this place at this competition and then training and doing the work and then getting that and feeling that progress and then being able to relate it or at least transfer it to other skills. 100%. Yeah, it's wild how you can get addicted to that good dopamine. Um, for me, I, for a while, I was addicted to the bad dopamine. I'd say in mm-hmm. high school, it was more so the good dopamine training really hard for football. But in college, once I had a very less prestigious role within my football team, I would escape into the bad dopamine. And now mm-hmm. that I've gotten into this personal development journey, it's been okay, like the good dopamine is way better than the cheap dopamine. But have you had instances where you've struggled with the cheap dopamine in the past? In the past, yes. Mainly, obviously, phone scrolling your phone when you're a teenager, like when you're younger, is obvious. Everyone did that. Everyone, loads of people still do it. Had that. The main one I probably had when I was at university was drinking. And not like I was a university student, college student. I was doing what every single university and college student does, but it just never aligned with me. Always felt really like hangovers always hit me hard. I always was completely hungover for three, four days. And then at that point, you know, you're either drinking when you're still hungover or you're starting to drink again. And just, I, yeah, so they're my two main ones, phone when I was younger and drinking. And you mentioned that the turning point for drinking yesterday was on your, what was it, your 19th, 20th birthday, where you're just like, I'm just done and fed up with this. So tell me a little yeah. bit about that story. Like, what was the what was the lead up? What was the context? What was the revelation like when you woke up and you're like, I'm never doing this again? Oh, man. Um, yeah, so it was my 20th birthday, I think it was. And it was my birthday, so you walk into the bar and everybody's buying you drinks, you know, and at one point I had like, Eight. the only thing I drank is whiskey so the only I had like eight whiskeys in front of me by the time I downed them more people were buying me drinks and then because I was drunk I was by myself drinks and basically I don't even I remember literally none of the night like that's what it, <laughs> how I went you know it was messy and I woke up the next morning I basically didn't wake up like I lay in bed I was in bed funny story for literally two days I did not leave my bed literally two days i did not leave my bed i was completely screwed so i was like yeah that that's it that had done because i never really enjoyed drinking i was only ever really doing it because it's what everybody else is doing and i was like oh maybe if i do it long enough i'll learn to enjoy it or you know 
maybe people will like me more or whatever it is. And it never, but it never really aligned with me. So that was just the final straw. It was the kick I needed to be like, okay, no more drinking. Yeah. I noticed for myself, like in hindsight, a big reason I would drink a lot in high school, especially, but college a little bit was because of the social pressures and because everybody's doing it and because it gives you that false sense of confidence. And I know you and I are both quite introverted. Um, like we can have a chat, we can talk, but like, I think generally we like maybe would avoid social scenes. And so I realized once I stopped doing that, it was a great test of confidence to be able to go out to a bar or go out to a social setting and not drink and drink water and like have people question you and be like, what are you doing? Why are you drinking water? And you're just like, oh, I don't want to drink. And they're either going to be a inspired by it and be like, oh, that's super cool. Or they're going to be like judgmental as hell. So do you think part of your drinking in college was to cope for some of that um, introverted nature? It likely was. I never actually, I've never really thought about it that way. It likely was. Um, but at the same time, the people I'm drinking with, I'm, I'm comfortable around. I'm not necessarily very introverted around them. You know, I can sort of turn it up or turn it on, whatever you want to say. You know, I can just be like, whoa. But yeah, it, li it likely was, especially talking to people you don't know or whatever. I just can't be bothered with it. Whereas yeah. with the alcohol, you're talking to everybody and everything's fun and all. So yeah, it likely was. But, you know, it really never aligned with me. I never liked it. I sort of did it just to do it because everybody else is doing it. But once, whenever I stopped, it was just, there was absolutely no negative I've gotten from stopping. It's been all positives. Yeah, I can resonate with that a lot. I haven't gone as extreme as you as like completely cutting it. Um, I haven't drank in probably like a month. And I would say I've probably formally drank like to the point of getting drunk, maybe like two or three times this year versus when I peaked with drinking, like I, I was like 16, 17 in high school. Like we mm -hmm. were going hard. And I know in Ireland, they go pretty hard too. Um, yeah, man. It, it's similar culture, I, I think because I'm in the Midwest, the United States. So it's cold. Mm -hmm. And like in the winter, yeah. what else are you going to do other than go to your friend's basement and else. just get yeah. hammered? So it's really interesting. But once you start to really pursue something, so at first for me, it was football. At first for you, it was weightlifting. Now it's running this creator business, being an entrepreneur. You realize that everything matters. Like your sleep matters every single day. If you don't sleep, you're not going to think clearly. If you're hungover, you're not going to be able to get up and do the work. And the benefits just don't make sense at a certain point. So I got inspired to really start to consider going much more sober by uh, Chris Williamson and Dickie Bush. Mm -hmm. They both did like 500 days sober. And that completely reframed my brain because when I was younger, I thought, oh, everybody drinks. Like that's what successful people do. They go out and party and drink. But really behind the scenes, I think a lot of the people that we look up to in the creator economy, um, entrepreneurs, they're mostly sober is what i've seen yeah man I, I would completely agree at least for the most part because you know i don't necessarily think there's anything innately wrong with drinking what i my problem with drinking is if you're doing it every weekend for absolutely no reason just other than it's a saturday night but you know if it is if it's a birthday if it's a i don't know a wedding or some sort of celebration sure take a few drinks but i don't think there's i think when you have a bigger mission a goal a vision something you want to achieve you really do start looking at the trade-offs and the payoff of drinking and how low the payoff is like you get no benefit from it because even if you're not 
completely hungover where you're lying in bed for two days, you're still not 100% for three or four days, five days. And if you're like most people, then it's Saturday night, Friday night, and you're going out drinking again. And it's just a never ending cycle. So 100%, as soon as you have that sort of goal, it doesn't even matter what the goal is. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be, you know, you're going to use the cliche example. You're not going to start the next Facebook. That doesn't have to be your goal. It can be something as simple as, you know, you want to lose 10 pounds, you know, and then you look at the calories and alcohol, the side effect where as soon as you're drunk, you're ordering uh, McDonald's or whatever food. And then the yeah. next day, because you feel crap, you're ordering more crap food and therefore you're skipping the gym and your sleep's going to be crap, which is going to affect it. Then you're going, because your sleep's crap, you're going to take more caffeine, which is going to ruin your sleep that night. And then it's a never ending cycle. Like when yeah. you look at it, you ha- you can't just look at the first order consequences. You have to look at the second, third, fourth, fifth order consequences. And a lot of people are like, oh, but it's, they're minuscule, but they're really not, especially if you're doing it every week. Obviously, if you do it once every, you know, what is at a birthday, for example, and you're doing that two or three times a year at birthdays, they're minuscule, they don't make a big difference. But if you do that every week or even every month, there's going to be a negative downstream of it. I 100% resonate with that. And one episode from Andrew Heberman, his episode on alcohol completely reframed all this for me. I think like some crazy stats, like even an average of one drink a night for a week increases your rates of getting cancer by five to 10%, depending on the various forms of cancer. And, you know, one drink a night doesn't sound like a lot. A lot of people do that. I'm sure in, in Mm -hmm. Ireland, I'm sure like people probably have whiskey with dinner. That's your, that's your that's your morning breakfast sort of thing over here, you know? <laughs> yeah, literally. That's, that's hilarious. Uh, but I mean, only one drink a week, that's seven drinks in one night. And like when I was in college and high school, like a typical night, once you build up that tolerance, it's like, I'm going to have 15. Like there've been days yeah, where I had no 20 problem. and yeah. you look at what that's doing to you in the long term, and it's pretty terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, well, man, it's, it's a poison. And I think people forget that, yeah. you know, it is, it's a poison and it's a, you know, and people instantly you say poison they instantly think something you drink and you die straight away but the alcohol is poisoning you and it's diluted alcohol if you drank straight ethanol like pure alcohol you you're dead yeah you know so all you're doing is drinking a diluted version of a poison which is part of the what the what the hangover is it's i think it's a combination of the poison effects and withdrawal from the alcohol so you know it's what do you expect when drinking a poison there's going to be absolutely no benefit to it and all negative yeah, it's like the poison isn't acute. It's like in the long term. It's like mm-hmm. building it up in like 40, 50 years from now. And that's yep. also something that I've realized, especially after getting into the entrepreneurship game, you start to think in the long term more. And like we're only mm-hmm. 22, but I'm thinking about like, I want to still be at my best physically, mentally when I'm 60, 70. Like there's no reason we can't be today yep. with good choices in the day to day. And that, ties into a topic based on what you said about like those second, third order effects with alcohol and it's momentum. I've realized momentum is everything in your fitness, in your business, in your creation, in your self-improvement, et cetera. And what I found is when I would go hard on self-improvement during the week and go hard in the gym and go hard with my diet. And then I drink on the weekend you're like slowly building this momentum to Friday and then you're just wrecking it to zero. And then on Monday you have to ramp it back up. But like, if you can use your weekend to at least maintain momentum or even build it even more, like you get that compound effect. And then you look back a year later, three years later, and you have like you like 
500,000 followers across platforms, like yeah. a full creator business, right? But it comes from those tiny choices of, oh, I'm going to stay in and read a book tonight instead of yeah. drink, right? And you do that every day for a year. And it's like, holy shit, you could be so far. Yeah, a lot of people, it's a, it's a weird one because a lot of people, when you look at one day, it's both so meaningless, but so meaningful, depending on how you use that day. You know, if you if you take one day off, it's not going to make a big impact. But if you take one day off every week over a year, it's a pretty big impact. Now that doesn't. Yeah. I'm not trying to say that you need to work seven days a week, but if in that day you're doing absolutely nothing and there's going to be negative consequences of that, where you're ruining your momentum. Like I'm a big proponent of no matter what you're doing, just do something every day. You don't have to go balls to the walls and go all out every single day, but just do something. You know, if you're if you're creating content write one tweet. There's absolutely no reason you can't write one tweet every single day. You know, even on a bloody Sunday, there's no reason you cannot write one tweet. Yeah, you know, just do I something. Agree. Keep it going. 100%. Yeah. There's this quote, I don't know who said it, but it's like anything above zero compounds. And if you've read Atomic Habits, you know the uh, 1% rule, like 1% yeah. better a day is 37 times better in a year. And only 1% better, like that could literally just be eating... 150 grams of protein or it could be like going on a walk like it doesn't i used yeah. to live in this all or nothing mindset like i'd either all be on or like on a day i'd be off i just completely wreck myself but now i realize like if you can just at least stay a little bit above zero that's going to compound and i like to think about the long term a lot just to keep things in a good frame and like if you just do some simple math like let's say you're most people are going out partying ruining their sleep drinking etc two days a week Friday and Saturday, right? Yep. If you compound that over a year, that's a hundred days. If you do that for 10 years, that's a thousand days. That's three yeah, years man. of your life, right? That you've been making yeah. negative progress. And the cool thing about us being young, and hopefully this would inspire some other young people is like in those 10 years, if you just decide, okay, I'm going to cut that down to a third and I'm going to only have like 300 negative days, you're going to be 700 days ahead of most people, right? And if you can even get it down to like 150, 25 negative days in 10 years, imagine where you can be by the time you're in your early 30s. It's so exciting. 100%. And even, even to take that to another level, what are you doing in them days? If you go out on the weekend, Instead of getting shit-faced drunk, just take two or three drinks. Enough to sort of feel something, you know, three or four drinks. Enough to feel something, but not enough to ruin tomorrow and the day after. Okay? Because then, you know, instead of losing 100% of a day, you lose 25% of a day. And again, if you compound that over a year, you're losing only, if you did that every weekend, you're only losing 25 days rather than 100 you know, so even if you take it to that level and set your own boundaries and set your own limits, it's even better. Yeah. And I think the earlier you can realize this, the more powerful mm -hmm. it becomes. Yeah. And have you heard of a guy named First Man? Oh, on YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Chris. Chris, Chris Turney. I, what's his last name? Yeah, I can't remember his last name, but yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. He had a pretty big influence on me like about eight, nine months ago because he talked about like this concept of the male advantage and what he means mm -hmm. by that is like men don't peak in terms of their value to society until they're like 32 to 35. Yeah. And that can even extend until you're 40. Like if you really mm -hmm. take care of yourself from a young age and like, if you're a guy out there and even a girl, like if you're in your early twenties or even your late teens, like 
and you can just keep this long-term perspective in mind, you're going to be 30 and you're going to have the world as your oyster. That's what Mm -hmm. I really think about. Like these early years are just building the foundation for the rest of your life. But I think so many people, and I was in this myself too. I got trapped in this too. Like you think that your early twenties are the peak of your life in terms of fun and experiences. And then I think you end up 30 looking back. It's like, Oh fuck, I should have built something while I had a chance. Yeah, man. It's, it's especially, you know, if you look at it from as much as you sort of want to compete against yourself and not compete against other people, when you look at what everybody else is doing, it's really not hard to get ahead. I think Chris Williamson talks about this quite a lot where it's like the bar has never been lower and it really hasn't. Like it really hasn't. If you, you know, just decide to read and you don't have to read a book a week, you just decide to read, you just decide to work out, eat right, not drink every weekend and build something that you're interested in. It doesn't have to be a creator business. It doesn't have to be anything massively game changing, just something you're interested in. You do that for 10 years. Most people by the age of say, if you do that from 18 to 28, by the age of 28, most people are only really sort of settling into their career and sort of looking at the future at that time. You know, you're so far ahead, so far ahead. You just have to be willing to take the action. And I think a big part of it is knowing what you want and setting down and taking time to, okay, what the fuck do I want with my life? What do I want? Because most people are going out blindly. And I think that's a big reason why people fall into the negative habits of drinking and sort of wasting their life because they don't know what they want. Therefore, they just take the easy, the path of least resistance, which is what you will always do as a human. doesn't matter who you are. If you don't know what you want you and you don't have a reason to take the harder path, you will always take the path of least resistance. So I think a lot of it just comes down to sitting down, figuring out, okay, what do I want? Okay, does going out and getting shit-faced drunk every weekend align with that? Will that help me get there? If the answer is no, you don't do it. If the answer is yes, okay, well then do it. But obviously drinking isn't going to apply for that, but you get the point. 100%, yeah. And what I find a lot with like my friends and we're at this transition age, like where a lot of my friends are in their last year of college, they're leaving college or they didn't go to college and they just really don't know what they want because they've never thought about it. I think another exercise that I like to do a lot is think about what I don't want because usually mm-hmm. that will yep. point you towards what you do want. And you know, whenever I thought about what I didn't want, it scared the shit out of me and sparked me into action because I felt myself going down that negative path. So I'm curious for you, maybe we could talk a little bit about like vision and anti-vision. Um, like when you sit down and you think about what you want out of life and out of your day and out of your business, what do you think about? And what are some things that you want to avoid at all costs? Uh, I'll start off with the easy one, what to avoid. I think that's, again, I think it's actually just what you said there. If you don't know what you want, figure out what you don't want because it's generally way easier to figure out what you don't want. What I don't want, though, like my greatest fear is lying on my deathbed and seeing who I could have been. Like, I hate that. I just hate the idea of that. So that is what I don't want. In a more specific way, I just don't want someone to tell me what to do. I hate authority. I hate it. I do not like people telling me what to do. It's probably why I went down the entrepreneurship route, or at least a big part of it. So as long as I can stay away from authority, I'm pretty happy, you know, because I, I don't enjoy a lot of the things that a lot of people would say they don't want, you know, in terms of drinking, going out partying or whatever. I don't enjoy all that. In terms of what I want, big picture, I really want something physical, like a physical product, a physical something. 
You know, I don't know what it is yet. I have no idea. I keep coming back to physical products, but then it's like, what's the product? Because it's not, I don't want to do clothing or anything like that, but I do want something physical, whether it is, for example, a gym, you know, or something. I really want something physical. And that is definitely something I want long-term. There's something about, you know, as much as it's amazing to build stuff online and digital, digitally, because it's a great opportunity, there, there's something about having something physical that you can see, that you can touch, that really hits home with me. I resonate with that so much, man. And I was on a walk thinking about the future, like I usually do. Um, and I was thinking about the same thing in terms of bringing this digital stuff into the physical. And I was actually making the an idea to myself was like, okay, just master the digital world for like the next eight to 10 years. And then once maybe you start getting more settled into a location with the family, then you can start to move into the physical world too and have that as like your base. And I have the the grand idea. And I mean, this is all just early and it's just an idea, but having like a, a coffee shop, like with like a coffee shop slash bookstore slash like yoga studio slash okay, gym yeah. and just kind of like this hub where I could operate out of, like I could have my desk and study there, but I could also I have like this it. coffee shop where I can be behind the counter and like interacting with people in a city that I love. Like maybe it would be like San Francisco or like tech somewhere in Texas, or I don't know yet. I'm still young. So this is all ideas, but I love thinking about this stuff too, because I think, yeah, digital is only half the battle. I think if you can bring something into the real world, just having connection with real people in real life, it just, yeah. it's a different level. It's also another challenge. It's another, you know, because the digital game, at least in the creator world, it's sort of like once you figure out content, you figure it out. You sort of know what works roughly, you know, at least sort of what you need to do. You also sort of figure out product launches digitally and all. So it's another challenge. You know, I think you always need to be on your edge, especially as a man, to feel fulfilled and to feel good, you need to be pushing yourself and finding that new limit and creating that new limit and creating new standards. And I think for me anyway, uh, something physical is just another way to sort of challenge myself as well as obviously get something physical. I, don't, I think there's something amazing. You know, I follow George Heaton from Represent. I don't know if you know him. He's quite big in yeah. the UK. Um, so he has this clothing brand, right? But he's got quite a big personal brand as well and he sort of he, the whole idea behind his clothing brand is that it's a lifestyle sort of thing but there's something he's like so proud whenever he sees his clothes on other people or whenever he, it's all he wears and all and there's something i really like i like that idea of having something physical that you can hold that you can touch and just feel proud this is mine i created this and all you know rather than digital's great but it's it's less tangible mm-hmm yeah, I would love to see you make something. I would definitely pick up some merch or whatever you decide to make. And I have no doubt that you will that. because, I mean, it's just another mountain to climb, right? It's another game yeah. to learn how to play, which is probably why we love this game so much, right? Because you you love learning the fundamentals and figuring it out. It's like a video game, um, which is so much fun. And that was something I wanted to touch on too a little bit earlier about how you said, Chris Williamson said, the bar has never been lowered. And something that's been really apparent to me over the past year is before you step into the creator economy and start creating content, you it looks so saturated. Like it looks like there's so many people in there and you get in there and then you look around at all your friends. And like, I, I have like hundreds of friends in college, high school, et cetera. And nobody's playing this game. Actually, one of my friends is playing the game because he got into it with me. 
but other than that, like you look around and nobody's doing it in real life. Whereas you get in, you look at the game from the outside and you think it's saturated. So what's your take on that? Like, do you think it's- Oh man, it's not saturated in the slightest. I, I think there's two reasons that it's not saturated. First off, if you think of yourself as a consumer, right? I'm, I'll use fitness as the example. If you, I follow loads of fitness people on Instagram. I follow loads of them. You know, yeah, like, exactly. well, how is it saturated? I'm going to follow you. If you talk about fitness and you make good content, I'm going to follow you. Second thing is, as much as you're in a niche, the niche is really you because you're going to be talking about your own perspectives, your life, your experiences, your opinions, your beliefs, which is going to be different from, say, if you talked about it, it's going to be different from my perspectives, my beliefs, my experience, my lessons. Hence, you're slightly differentiating yourself. You will take a different angle at it from me. I might also talk about mindset, whereas you might lean into more of the nutrition stuff or wh- whatever the example is. So realistically, it's never saturated because you're creating your own niche, especially in the long term. So yeah, it's not saturated. Saturation is just an excuse. As much as it does look saturated, you come in from the outside and it's like, holy crap, if you go on Twitter alone, there's a thousand fitness accounts. But you also have to look at it in the long term play that... I don't know, 90% of them are going to quit in the first year. Uh, another 90% of that are going to quit within five. So if you're just willing to do it for a longer time period, you're going two things. Most people are going to have quit. So there's going to be more space, therefore less saturation. Second off, you're going to have really established your own niche. Yes. Yes. I love all that you said. And one of the main things I've kept in mind over the past year, and especially at the start when I was thinking like, oh, like, I don't even know if I want to do this. I want to quit. And most people do quit probably within the first month is like, you can't lose if you just stay in the arena, right? You get into the arena and eventually you're going to figure out how to play the game and you're going to figure out your role within the game, but it takes time, right? And mm-hmm. there's so many people who I started off with that now, like their accounts are dead. They completely quit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the power of forming friendships in this game too, because mm-hmm. we had it like I had an intimate group of like seven dudes in a Telegram group chat. We were all like below a thousand followers last year. And I look forward to today and everybody from that group chat is still in the game in some way or the other. Whereas okay. a lot of the people who I met who weren't in groups or like they kind of stuck to themselves, they've ended up quitting too. So I think the power of of networking and just having people in your corner is so important. I think that's definitely a big factor, but I think another factor that people don't like to talk about because it might be like a dirty little secret of social media is a lot of people, especially on Twitter, start to make money. Like they, that's their sole purpose, which there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, you want to make money from social media and create a business or whatever, but there, if you want to make money online, especially in the short term, there's much better ways to do it than building a creator business. You know, long-term creator business is definitely the play. But if you're looking to make 10 grand a month as fast as possible, creator business probably isn't the way. You need to start some form of agency, right? But a lot of people get on to make money. Then they realize it's slow. And they didn't start for the reason of creation. They didn't start because they wanted to create content. So when it was tough, when it was slow, when they weren't growing, when they weren't making any money, they're like, oh, okay, I'm I'm going to quit. They don't have a reason to keep going. So yeah, no, I definitely do agree though with the networking side of things, having that sort of group because I've been on Twitter for years. I've seen thousands. I'm, I'm not even joking. Thousands. You know yourself, the amount of people that start and then are stopped within a week, literally a week or maybe a month. 
So I've seen thousands of people come and go, and most of the ones who have stayed around are ones who have built a network. Now, why? I don't know if that's necessarily coincidence or causality. I don't know if that's because of the network. It's probably a factor in why they stayed on, but I think it also shows the mindset of the person going into it. You know, if you're willing to build a network, especially a good network, you're more committed to it. You have other reasons that you want to do this. You're willing to learn and play the game. Whereas those who don't are those who are just in it for the quick buck and just trying to do whatever they can to make money as fast as possible. Yeah, 100%. And I think it comes back down to like intrinsic versus external motivators. Because for me, if I think about why did I get into this in the first place over a year ago, and it was because I fell in love with just the process of writing and sharing ideas. And that's manifested now a year later into actually like an income through ghostwriting and starting my own creator business. But it started with that intrinsic love for just sharing ideas. So for you, what was that motivator to get into it? Was it more just, I want to make money or was it to share ideas or was it a combination? So, I'll bring you back pretty far. When I was in high school, we do school slightly different in the UK. So high school, you start at 12 and you finish it at 18, basically. So you have like, you don't do a middle school, basically you skip it. But when I was like in high school, or at least high school, I was making YouTube videos all the time. And as soon as somebody in like either my year or the year above me found it, they would like, make fun of me for it so I would delete it to make a new channel I did that for like three years maybe and obviously I made no progress because you know I was constantly deleting channels and uploading new or making new channels but I think that goes to show that I really just loved creating and it's something I was always interested in fast forward till I was about 16 I stopped all that I stopped creating did start focusing on exams etc then when I was in university as just I was just probably just turned 19. I was broke. I was trying to make money online, bought all the Rich Dad Per Dad books or whatever. But I was actually scrolling Twitter and I came across this guy called Chris Johnson. I can't I don't know if he's still about Twitter. I haven't seen him in a while, but he posted a screenshot of a Gumroad payout, which was one hundred thousand dollars in a week. And it completely blew my mind. I was like, holy crap, you can make a hundred thousand dollars in a week. And he was doing it through affiliate marketing. So I was like, oh affiliate marketing is how I'm going to become rich. I'm going to be a millionaire now for affiliate marketing. So I bought his Twitter growth guide and his affiliate marketing guide like straight away for like, I don't know, I think they're like 20 bucks each sort of thing. So I bought them, was like, right, affiliate marketing, affiliate marketing. After like a month, I realized, okay, affiliate marketing, I'm not going to make any money doing this, especially, you know, at the start when you have a small audience and everything. So I gave up in the affiliate marketing, but I kept creating. I was like, I'm really enjoying this. And it was just another, it sort of reawakened that inner passion of mine for creating that I always had and just sort of dampened and put away. So yeah, that's how I got into it. It was really, I always wanted to create, but I hit it. And then I had a catalyst, which was making money. And then I soon realigned my purpose. And that's why I did it for three years. That's why I didn't quit. As much as I started for making money, I realized, oh, this is just another another avenue to create. So it was my first time ever writing too, because Obviously, when I was making YouTube videos, it was gaming videos of me playing like Call of Duty when I was like 13. So it was like I'd set my phone up and just film the screen and that like that was it. So I'd never written before, obviously in school, but they don't it doesn't really count. It's a completely different style of writing. And I hated writing in school. It was the only subject that I was like I didn't like because I, I pretty enjoyed school. It was the only one I didn't like. So actually learning to enjoy it through creating what I was interested in. Well, it was just another way to create and it really lit a passion in me that it hasn't died three years later. 
That's awesome. I was going to ask what those early videos were about because I used to make videos when I was like 12 or 13, uh-huh. like trick shot basketball videos with my friends and okay, stuff. Yeah. But I just love that process of creating and like putting together an mm-hmm. idea and posting it. It was so cool, but I felt very insecure too when people would find it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think because you're a kid and you're so tribal when you're around that age and like you are so worried with being a part of the group and not being different. So I was the same way. Like I would get very insecure when people would find my stuff. Um, yeah, man, it's part of the process. I think, cause like, especially when you're that young, everything, you know, is other people. You don't know anything about yourself. Everything, you know, is other people you learn from other people. And mainly, especially once you're in school, you're learning from the reactions of other people. You know, if you're in school and you, when you're really young and you threw a toy block at somebody and hit them and they cried and you got in trouble, you learned, okay, not to do that. So that even, even when you're older and you're 12 and you're making YouTube videos and somebody's taking the piss out of you, they're making fun out of you for making a YouTube video that you're still learning. You're still, cause you don't have any confidence to stand on your own feet. Everything, your whole world isn't necessarily you. When you're young, your whole world is everything else. It's all external. There's no internal, you know, you don't really have that inner monologue that, is rational and can work things out you're still sort of emotional and just basing everything off the reactions of others so it it is really just it's part of the process and i think that's the problem is a lot of people are creative every actually let me rephrase that everybody is creative and everybody creates when they're a child but most people get put down for it so therefore they do what I did. And I imagine you did something similar where you stop making YouTube videos because everybody's taking the piss out of you. They're making fun of you. Most people never rekindle that flame. They never rekindle it either because they don't have a catalyst. You know, if I never stumbled across Twitter and that guy sharing that screenshot, I don't know what I'd be doing. I don't know if I would ever find that catalyst, but also the other reason might just be self-confidence. They're not confident enough to put themselves out there because it's, it's a big mistake I see a lot of creators make is that they are sharing ideas that are other people's. And obviously no idea is completely unique, but they're just taking somebody else's tweet and rewording it and sending it out there. It never works, especially long-term for building a good, powerful personal brand because your content and every idea you share is meant to be a reflection of you. It's meant to be a part of you that you're sharing. There's a there's a quote by Bruce Springsteen in that book right there. I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan. So I read his autobiography and in the book, he says, there's a quote I'm paraphrasing here. It's like something like good captivating your audience is about sharing something of yourself that you didn't want to share. Mm. And I feel like that's every single bit of content. It has to be, especially over the long run, if you want to build a powerful personal brand with people who actually know, like trust and respect you. I think a lot of people forget the respect part. You know, so creating and sharing a part of yourself is crucial and you need confidence to do that. A lot of people don't have that confidence in themselves. And how can somebody go about building that self-confidence? I think a lot of it is just small steps. You know, you tell, a lot of it comes back to, we touched on this in the space yesterday, but it's self-respect. If you have self-respect, you have self-confidence. Okay, it's a it's a... Confidence, I believe, is a lagging factor or lagging indicator of respect, of self-respect. Because if you tell yourself you're going to do something, again, the mistake most people here make is the example I use all the time is they tell themselves, okay, I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm going to run 100 miles. They're trying to be David Goggins. And then obviously they fucking fail because who the fuck's going to be able to do that unless you're David Goggins? 
So therefore, because they promised themselves they were going to do something and they didn't do it, they ruined their self-respect, which means the next time they tell themselves that you're going to do something, they, ruin their, they are less likely to do it. So they ruin their self-respect even more. So you start small. It's tiny steps. So you tell yourself, okay, I'm going to get up 15 minutes earlier. That's the only thing you're doing. Only thing, 15 minutes earlier. You get up 15 minutes earlier and all of a sudden you mightn't consciously recognize it. You might, but you might not. You have more self-respect because you told yourself you're going to do something and you do it. And you do that repeatedly every single day and every, say, week, you make it 15 minutes earlier that you get up. And all of a sudden, once you're up at your ideal time, you say, okay, I'm going to start I'm going to start working out now at that time. Again, small steps, one at a time. And every time you make that step, you're make, increasing your self-respect. And because you've increased your self-respect through taking action, you have proof that you are capable of doing what you're saying you're doing. You therefore have more confidence. And the thing about confidence is if you have confidence in one area, it spills into every other area. It's not necessarily a direct correlation. You know, if you're confident in this, you might not be confident in that 100% just as much, but it spills. If you're able to consciously look into yourself and be like, okay, I'm good at this. There's some carryovers from this skill that will help me here. Therefore, you can have some confidence. And again, once you start creating, that's a whole other ballgame. It's just the same self-respect cycle of telling yourself, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get comfortable. I'm going to realize, especially in terms of creating, that nobody gives a fuck what I'm creating. Especially when starting out, when you have a small audience, nobody sees your stuff. You know, you have to earn your audience. You have to earn the growth and earn the following and earn the eyeballs and earn the attention. And the only way you earn that is through being shit at the start, putting in the reps and getting good. You know, if you try to skip that stage, either because you're not confident enough because your stuff's crap or you're just worried that it's crap and people are going to judge you or whatever the reason is, you're never going to earn your audience. You're never going to build your self-confidence and self-respect. I love that. That was a great answer. I think that's why the gym is so important too for all of this. Like it's such a good metaphor for life because you show up every day, you push yourself, you have the choice to push yourself, I should say. And if you do, you build that self-respect that carries over. And I notice, like my ability to push myself in a workout is directly proportional to how much I'm going to push myself in a deep work block. They're the same thing. If I'm half-assing myself in the gym, I'm going to half-ass myself in my deep work. Everything affects everything. And yeah. I think you do a great job of this, especially like with your 5 a.m. wake-ups and getting out and walking regardless of the weather. So I wanted to know like, what keeps you going through all of it? Like, are there days where you're just like, I don't want to do this? And what keeps you going day after day after day? I suppose it depends on the context of what we're talking about. But in terms of like, for example, the 5 a.m. walks, there's probably two things that keep me going. One of them is rather superficial, but at the same time, it's not. Um, I have an audience and I post every morning. I get up at 5 a.m. going for a walk. That <laughs> yeah. it's it's crazy what that will do for you. Because you know, it rains all the time here. Rains all the time in Ireland, especially in the mornings. There's a thing about like, see, overnight it rains pretty much consistently. So I will wake up at 5 a.m. and it's raining. Like it was light rain. When I woke up this morning, it was very, very light rain. But see, by the end of the walk, it was pissing down. It was really, really heavy rain. So I was soaked. But see, any morning you wake up and it's raining, you don't want to do it. You don't want to go outside and get wet and get soaked. And, you know, even if you have a waterproof coat, it's sort of because you're outside for over an hour, it rips through a wee bit and all, you know, and you get soaked. It's not nice. It's not comfortable. You don't want to do it. But my audience knows, everybody knows that I'm getting up at 5 a.m. If I don't post the picture, they're going to be like, Ross, 
did you not get up at 5 a.m are you (laughs) not living your mission which is another thing that's probably the second reason is i like to look at things and i like to link the micro to the macro so if i have a macro goal or if i have a macro vision or i have a macro mission whatever it is all three of them i always break it down into micro daily actions so if my goal is so right now i'm cutting i'm losing weight okay that is why I'm getting up at 5 a.m. to get extra steps in so I don't have to drop my calories anymore. That is my goal. If I get up in the morning, it's like, I don't want to go walk five at 5 a.m. But my goal is to lose X amount of weight so I can look at a certain way. And to, do, to get that goal, I have to do this. There's no excuses. And again, I think that does come down to self-respect. It's, I think it, I think a lot of things come down to self-respect because if I had low self-respect, it wouldn't matter what my goal is. I'm not going to do that hard thing. Whereas I have self-respect, I hold myself to a certain standard where I'm going to be like, okay, it, do, it doesn't matter what the weather is. It doesn't matter how I feel. I have to get it done. Otherwise, and I, I think especially because I'm aware of these self-respect cycles, it helps because I'm aware, okay, if I don't do this, I'm not going to do it tomorrow or I'm less likely to do it tomorrow. So yeah, I think there's two main things, linking the micro micro to the macro and then having this audience, which sort of keeps me accountable. I love both of those things right there too. And the main thing that you hit on really resonates with me is like, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard than anybody else is willing to hold Mm. you to. You have to almost be looked at as insane, right? Because I'm sure your friends or like your mom or something would be like, Ross, you don't have to go walk at 5 a.m. It's okay. One day is not going to hurt you, but you will not be able to live with yourself. And I'm the same way. Mm -hmm. Like if I don't do the thing, I know that's the worst thing ever. Like it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. I think especially like I'm rather introverted and you're rather introverted too. It's like you don't necessarily care when you're introverted or at least in my opinion, as much about external opinions because you, you're happy to keep to yourself. And I think especially when you're introverted and on this self-improvement journey, you understand like, okay, it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. All that matters is what I think. I don't care about anything else. And plus the good thing for me, at least, is that all my friends and family, they know I'm like this. So they don't even fucking question any of it. They're used to it. You know, if I'm like, I'm getting up at 5 a.m., they're probably they're going to be like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, oh, I'm doing it for this reason. And they're like, okay. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's it's a it's a lot of holding yourself to a standards. It's very important. It's very important because I think it's also a concept I've been running with quite recently is being a professional. I think you have to be a professional in every single area of your life. Every single area. There's nothing. So for example, the main reason this came up was because I was waiting on someone and they were late. They were meant to, we were going somewhere. We were going to, I went to see Jordan Peterson last week to talk and we were going up to his thing and they were driving and they were late. They left me. And I was like, what the, why, why the fuck are you late? There's absolutely no reason to be late here. And the thing about that, it seems small, you know, they're late to left you a big deal. But that carries over into every single area of your life. If you're not competent enough to hold yourself to the standard of turning up on time, what the fuck else are you not doing? Because it's such a simple thing. If you can't manage yourself and what you're doing to turn up at a certain place on a certain time, you know, or if you can't manage yourself to put yourself together in a presentable way in terms of the clothes you wear, or you can't manage to turn up to a gym session, every scheduled gym session for a week, it, it ripples into every single area of your life. So again, I think it's 
I've been toying with this concept of being a professional. I think it's a really powerful one, one that I iron it out a bit more. But I think you have to be a professional and just hold yourself to professional standards because a lot of people complain that they're not getting professional results in whatever it is. They're not growing their audience. They're not growing their income. They're not yeah, making progress in the gym, whatever it is. But yet, if you look at their actions, they're taking amateur actions and expecting professional results. And that's not how it fucking works. So, you know, I think it's also goes back to if you're a creator, but you're also working out, if you're not maintaining your gym sessions and you're not being professional in the gym, the chances of you being professional in the creator business and your creator business is going to be through the floor. Everything affects everything. That's what yeah, I'm realizing so much more recently. Have you been reading the um, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield? It should be, I think it's, it's along there somewhere. Yeah, I've read it. Yeah. It's a good book. That's a good one. That was a big turning point for me is realizing that a lot of my actions, especially at the beginning of the creator game, were really amateur. And if you want to rise to the level of your mentors and be at that top tier, your actions, your habits, everything has to catch up, right? You can't yep. be a level 100 creator with level five habits, right? It, it just won't 100%, work. Man. If or you else look you're at just the- lying to yourself. 100% like but if you look at most especially I think I, I don't think this necessarily applies to every single asp, every single sort of path in life but in the creator economy where your brand is a reflection of you whether you like it or consciously go by it or not your brand is a reflection of you because if you have per habits you're going to have per ideas and you're going to create per content etc if you look at every single top creator they're all dialed in in most areas they're all at least 90% dialed in and 90% of their areas of life. Yes. You know, that can sort of, you know, doesn't necessarily apply to many other paths because you hear about CEOs who are heavy drinkers, don't sleep well, whatever it is. So it doesn't apply to everything. But in the creator economy where your brand is a reflection of you, it applies 100%. That's why I think it's the greatest forcing function for personal development too, because Mm -hmm. Your growth as a creator, your growth as a one-person business, especially, which is the model we're both going, it's like, it's a direct reflection of your personal growth. If your business is not growing, it's because you're not growing. And that's why I really think like, even if you don't know what you want to do in the creator economy, just entering in some way, just starting to put your name out there, it will Mm -hmm. force you to grow like you'll never, you've never grown before. That might be thinking about it now that might be why you seem so much older and wiser than a 22 year old kid because like you've been doing this for three four years you had this responsibility you realize what it takes to win and i've only been in it for about a year but i've noticed a huge like a huge change in my growth over just the past year versus a year a little bit over a year ago i was just a college student with no responsibilities i could just be smoking weed and playing video games and it didn't matter right but now it matters every single part of your life matters when you're building this creator business yeah i think the best thing about the creator business is in terms of forcing growth is that first off if you don't grow your content gets stale Okay, yes. your ideas get stale. So you'll you won't your audience won't grow if you don't grow. But the other thing is that you're forced to learn so many skills. Yeah. You know, and like it's sort of I'm big into the mastery world and sort of that whole concept, but with the creator business, you're forced to become a jack of all trades. 
you know, of obviously you want to master something, you know, like for us, it's writing. You want to master writing, but you're forced to become a jack of all trades in terms of you're forced to do some web, web design, you're forced to do some copywriting, you're forced to do some... And then if you look at actually copywriting, there's so many aspects to copywriting that you have to learn. You have to learn some human psychology. You have to learn how to write hooks. You have to learn how to write body. You have to learn how to write bullet points to convey your the benefits. You know, there's so many skills and skills within skills that you have to learn to succeed in the creator business. Networking is another good one. You have to learn how to network and you have to learn how to use that network effectively for your goal and for their goal. There's no better... Pro- forcing function for holistic personal development yeah. i don't think in the modern world There's that's not. why I, I don't think there is and i mean it'll be cool to see in like 10 15 years all these young kids who now are learning all these skills and developing like yeah. what what are we going to be like in 10 to 15 years with all this experience it's super exciting um and with that I, i'm curious you mentioned mission earlier so i know that you like to keep your goals to yourself um but would you be willing to share mission? Do you have a bigger purpose and mission that you thought about? Okay, I think it goes back to, okay, my greatest fear, I already covered this, is lying on my deathbed and seeing who it could have been. I don't want that for anybody else either. I mean, my mission mm-hmm. is to stop other people from also experiencing that. And I try to do that through my content. And the way I try to do that for my content is I talk about two main, three main areas. I talk about self-mastery, I talk about creator business, and I talk about a fulfilled life. Because I think if you follow and pursue those three things, you're not you're not going to be in that position where you're lying on your deathbed and seeing who you could have been. Or at least that person that you're seeing is going to be very close to who you are. That's powerful. I love that. And I have no doubt that you're going to make huge strides towards this vision, especially I know you're thinking in the long term. Like imagine the impact you can be having on young people yeah, when you're 32. It's it's exciting. I cannot wait to see where you're at with it. Um, I do have two more last questions to end this off with. So first one is, how do you think about relationships at this point in your life? Is it an area of focus or not right now, right now? Not right now. I was in a long-term relationship for a while and then that ended. So because I moved countries, that's a story for another day. I moved countries and everything. So that ended there. Um, relationships are a weird one, I think, in the modern world, especially because I am not interested in, because I don't drink. I'm not interested in meeting some girl in a club who is going to be out drinking every weekend. You know, I'm not there to judge and tell someone that they shouldn't do that. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm saying that's not the type of partner I would want. You know, so it's also like, it's not my, it isn't my focus right now, but it is definitely something that's in the back of my mind where it's like, okay, it's definitely something soon that I should be focusing on. But it's like, you know yourself, when you're in a building phase and all you care about is building what you're building. I think especially as men, it's very easy to just completely tunnel focus on that and forget every other area of your life. Yeah. You know, it's incredibly easy to do that. So it's something I will be focusing on in the future and maybe maybe next year, but right now it's not. I gotcha. Yeah, I'm the same as you. I just feel like you need so much focus and attention to take a business from zero to one. And I did this with traveling a bit. I was trying to travel and build and I was doing both half ass and I could see the same thing happening with the relationship. So it's something that's important to me, definitely going forward. But like 
we're so young that it's like build the foundation now and then have that yeah, and then be able to go build the rest of your life. That's kind and, of how I see yeah, it right now. I know that it's actually something that's actually something I only realized a couple of weeks ago. If you so I don't know what it's like in America, but in Ireland it's very, very common to kid children young. When I say young, I don't mean like when you're 16, sort of young. However, that is common. I mean more like you're married at 21 and you have kids sort of thing. You know, it's pretty common. And I think a lot of the reason why, if you look at big successful entrepreneurs and CEOs aren't doing that, they don't have kids till they're 40, maybe, maybe even later sometimes, is because they are so focused in those early years in your 20s, you know, that they're not paying any attention to relationships or families or kids they're building and then it's whenever they hit 30 35 40 they're like okay even i know that's slightly different example but like robert de niro just had a kid at like 80 well you know so yeah you know and i know that's a very extreme example and he's had kids before but you get my point you know the, the someone who's very successful very busy they're focused on them early years yeah, I think it's all about seasons of life. Like if you try mm, to do yeah. it all at one time, you're not going to do any to your fullest potential. But if you use yeah. those early years to build that foundation, then I see it like, then you'll have the foundation to build with a wife and with kids. You want to, mm -hmm. I want a lot of kids. I want like 10 kids, but doing the 10 kids and then trying to build a business, I don't think that would not work. Gonna work. Do it, not gonna the work. business first, and then that will be able to support that big family. That's how I'm envisioning it. Although yeah. you never know, like life could throw you a curveball. Well, it's also like, how do you want to provide for them? Do you want to be skimming by or do you want to be able to provide for them in the way you see fit? You know, where right. they not necessarily get what they want, but get what they need with absolutely no problem. You know, yeah. what do you want? You know, because if you start a family young, the likelihood of you being able to provide for them in the way you want to provide them for them is a lot less likely than if you leave it a few years and build. I 100% agree. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'll be thinking about more in the next couple of years, but we're still young, so I'm not in a rush for it. Um, but last question here. You've been in the game for like three, four years now. Um, you've been on the personal development stuff for a, much longer. So what would you say to somebody who's just starting out, either in the personal development journey or in the creator economy? Like what is something you wish? Thing. One yeah. thing to say. Don't what stop. Nice. Don't stop. Because you no, know, I, I I know I know that's like a sort of a disappointing answer because it's so simple, but it is literally everything you need. If you don't stop, and I'll, I'll add a caveat to that too, you know where you want to go. Okay, figure out where you want to go and don't stop. Because if you figure out where you want to go and you don't stop, you will eventually figure out every step in between. I'm not it, it, like you know, it might take you fucking twenty years to do it. It might take you one year. You know, so many different contexts and situations, but. If you don't stop and you know where you want to go, you'll get there. You know, you'll figure out everything you need to do because like realistically, when I started, you know, you have very little advice. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I figured it out. And the only reason I was able to figure it all out is because I didn't stop. So I think don't stop is the only advice anybody ever needs for anything. I love that. I love that. Yeah, you eventually figure it out. You piece things well, together. If it's meaningful to you. If it's meaningful to you, if it's something you actually want to do, I think this is a, a, another sort of thing I've been thinking about the past week or so is like doing, don't, you can't do what you think other people want you to do. 
you know, you can't do what you think your parents want you to do. You can't do what you think your friends want you to do. You can't do what you think society wants you to do. You have to do what you want to do. You know, you have to do that. There's no other option. So uh, otherwise you end up in like a meaningless pit of despair. And it might happen in a year, it might happen in 20 years. You could be 40, you might have a real good job, but you fucking hate your life because you chose something that you thought other people want you to, wanted you to do. Now those people don't even remember you. So it's just choose something fucking meaningful that actually means something to you that is genuinely aligned with your interests. And a lot of people try to rush this. You know, a lot of people also say, I don't know what I'm interested in. Of course you don't. You're sitting there all day distracting yourself with stimulation and cheap dopamine. So I think the first step, removing that and paying conscious attention to what pulls you in. Whenever you're having a conversation, whenever you're scrolling YouTube, what video do you click on and be like fully engaged in it? What book do you think you want to read? What quote grabs you? What pulls you in? What engages you? Figure that out. Dive deep down that rabbit hole and then build something fucking meaningful. Wow. I could tell that really resonates like that comes from the heart right there like oh, i can man, sense yeah, your yeah. energy just really picked yeah. up that was awesome yeah. yeah yeah that means a lot to me <laughs> the, i i really like i'm big into that at the minute just doing what you because i think it's a trap a lot of people fall down you know it's so so fucking easy to yeah i went to university because i got good grades and it was the only path ever presented to me really and you're tricked into thinking you need to go to university. And like, I'm not anti-university. I'm not anti-jobs. I'm not anti any of that. I'm anti not doing what you want to do. You know, there's more than enough room. Especially, look, if you have any, if you're watching a podcast like this, you likely have your head screwed on. You likely have some sort of common sense and you have a ability and willingness to put in the work. And if you have an ability and willingness to put in the work, you can choose whatever you want and you'll make it. You know, as long as it's something that you're aligned with and is actually meaningful to you, you'll you'll make it. You'll be grand. So long as you don't stop. I love that. Dude, this was a phenomenal conversation. One of my favorites I've had over the past year or so. I appreciate you doing this. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you, my man. I appreciate you having me on. It was great to talk. Yeah. And before we hop off, what can people expect from you? I know you're building something right now. Yeah, so I'm building a cohort right now. So it's one of the problems I've seen in the greater economy is there's a lot of courses and group coachings and cohorts and all teaching people how to grow their audience and create their business, which is great. But it ends up people get, they create another job that they get tied to and they end up working all day trying to build their creator business and their uh, audience when they sign, when what they signed up for when they started this was a life in their terms. So I'm building a cohort called Done Four, where I'm showing people how to build their creative business and audience in two to four hours a day so that they can spend less time behind the screen and more time living the life they love. I love that. And I actually got a little sneak peek at this. Ross shared it with me and it's sick. So definitely recommend checking it out. Definitely recommend checking Ross out on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Um, are you on LinkedIn or is that are those the main three? Yeah, no, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Okay, cool. I'll link all that below in the show notes. But yeah, man, this was awesome. We'll have to do it again in maybe like a year or so. We'll see where we're at. More than dying, my man. I enjoyed it. So thank you for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, man.